you ask people, what is the most common verse in the Bible, the answer often is John 3.16. Now, that's not the most common verse in the Bible. The most common passage in the Bible, as I've told you many times, is... Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then sometimes people might say, well, the most common passage in the Bible is the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Well, that's fairly common, but probably when you get down to what is thought of as the most common verse in the Bible, it's going to be John three sixteen. And whether you know it or not, and a number of you probably don't, when the choir gets into this, that grand Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, you know, while that's going on, and usually at that point, and I'm not sorry about this, I can usually override the choir at almost every point, because I do have lungs, but... At that point, I can't override the choir, but every single divine liturgy in the Orthodox Church, we refer to John 3.16. It's always there. With these blessed powers, O Master who love mankind, we also cry aloud and say, Holy art thou and all holy, thou and thine only begotten Son and thy Holy Spirit. Holy art thou and all holy and magnificent is thy glory who have so loved the world as to give thine only begotten Son that all who believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, I wish you could all hear, but I want you to hear what is going on at that time. But for people to say, for example, that, well, you Orthodox don't believe in the Bible. In fact, you don't even ever refer to John 3:16 because you don't believe in that kind of stuff. Oh, yes, we do, and we quote it every single week. It's always there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that all who believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How old was I when I memorized that and got a little ribbon for it and a little pencil with Jesus saves on it and all that kind of stuff? Probably about seven, six, I don't know. Uh, I learned it very early in my life. And have I ever preached a sermon on John 3.16? Well, I'll guarantee you I've preached a whole bunch of them on John 3.16 in my life, both before I became Orthodox and after. And now today... I'm going to give a homily on John 3.16, and it's going to go like this. It's going to have three points, which you know I like, and those three points are all going to be very closely woven together because it's going to go like this. A hopeless plight confronted by limitless love results in life everlasting when taken by faith. Now, I want to get that to you again, because if that's all you get out of here, you've got it. A hopeless plight, that's where we are, confronted by unlimited love, that's where God is, results in life everlasting, and that is for us, with him, those of us who will receive him by faith. Okay, let's start with that hopeless plight. You know, there's an incredible problem in our world today where people seem to think that everybody's okay. I have been a student of history all of my high school, college, and adult life. 
I have studied history. I have read tens of thousands of pages of history, ancient, medieval, modern, and so on, and how anyone could come to the conclusion that everyone is basically good and that everything's just fine is beyond my comprehension. All you have to do is look at the daily paper and see things are not really okay. Left to ourselves, humankind, as earnest and as zealous and as desirous as we may be, we are in a hopeless plight. In the last century, the last century, the 20th century, we saw more war, we saw more people killed by so-called civilized people than have we have seen in many previous centuries. What is the cause of all of this? It's because we have a hopeless plight. I'm only going to give two things in regard to that hopeless plight today. One, we are guilty of sin. We are not guilty of sin because Adam sinned. We are not guilty because of someone else's sin. You are guilty because of your sin. I used to sit there when I was a child and I would wonder, how can they tell me I'm guilty because Adam and Eve did this thing? It didn't make any sense to me. And it didn't make any sense. It's not true. We are guilty because we have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We have missed the mark. That's what it means to sin. God sets the mark. We aim for it and we miss. That's sin. So we are guilty because of our sins. But not all, only are we guilty. And there is something that our first parents did bestow upon us. They bestowed upon us just because we are born of them and in capacity to do everything right. We inherit a propensity to sin, a disposition to sin. It comes so easily. Parents, how many of you have had to teach your children how to sin? That is not something that we need to do, is it? Almost everything else we do in this life with our kids, we got to teach them. But we do not have to teach them to lie. We do not have to teach them to disobey. We don't have to teach children to sin. It just comes to us. It's part of us. It's in our nature. It's what we inherited. Something that God created perfectly, but it is messed up. It is a nice theological word. It is sullied. That means it's all muddied up. It was nice and clear, and now it's all muddied up. It's not gone. That image of God is still there, but we've lost capacity to live the way that we're supposed to live. We can no longer live pleasing to God. And we are in a helpless plight because the consequence of all of this is eternal destruction. That's the helpless plight. And we can suck it up and say, well, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to do what I need to do and I'm going to live right. You do it every New Year's Eve, don't you? How many times do we resolve that we're not going to commit that particular sin again? Folks, there are sins I have resolved not to commit anymore probably 5,000 times. Not very good resolve, huh? We simply don't have the strength. We're powerless. Uh, I'll take it. <laughs> We're just powerless to live the way we need to live. A hopeless plight.
confronted by unlimited love. God so loved. When God loves people, when God loves, it is unlimited. Utterly and completely illimitable in every way. God so loved the world. Well, how much did he love the world? Now, let's look at this for a moment because I'm going to explain and it'll come slowly to you. Believe me, it'll come slowly. How much did God so love the world? Well, it says that he gave his only begotten son. Why do you say big deal? Now, there are many of you here. If you had a chance to save the world, you'd die for it, wouldn't you? Now, I honestly believe that the vast majority of you sitting in here today, if you could save the whole world just by dying, you'd do it. You would. I mean, how many, how many hero stories have you heard from the wars where men have been willing to die for one another? Throw themselves on a grenade or throw themselves in front of something and die for someone else. Okay, that isn't what shows God's great love as much as God is absolutely perfect in every way, infinite and eternal. Oh, we're going to say it in just a a moment. It is fitting and right to bless thee, to praise thee, to worship thee in every place of thy dominion. For thou art God, invisible, incomprehensible, ever existing and eternally the same. Thou and thine only begotten Son and thy Holy Spirit. You take God. You take the Son of God in His divine nature, the eternal Son of the Father, fully possessing the divine nature. Now, listen carefully. If you add anything to divinity, it's diminished, is it not? If you add anything to perfection, it will be diminished. You take the eternal Son who fully possesses the absolutely perfect divine nature, and you add human nature. Have you elevated? No, you brought down. There's a great word for it. He condescended. We're going to say it in a few moments. Came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. God's love was so unlimited that he was willing, the eternal Son of the Father, the Father was willing, the Son was willing, the Holy Spirit was willing, there's only one divine will, the, the, the Holy Trinity was willing, that the eternal Son of the Father, God, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, of one essence from the, with the Father, was willing to take to himself human nature. That takes love. For all eternity, the Son of God is limited in his humanity because he is human. He's divine and he's human. Will you, would you not call that love for God to be willing to condescend, to become human? Not that that's a denigration necessarily because he created man in his image and likeness, But it still isn't divinity. And he was willing to add that. He was willing to take to himself in the womb of the Virgin Mary human nature. And why? Because we're going to skip a lot of space now. Because we come to his passion. Now, I want you to speak out, if you will. When Jesus was on the cross with the nails in his hands and his feet... 
and the spear in his side, who was that on the cross? Now, you can say to me, it was Jesus, and I'll accept that answer. You can say it was the Son of God who was on the cross, and I'll certainly accept that answer. What we must say is that on the cross was God the Son in his flesh. So who died on the cross? God died. Not in his deity, because deity can't die, but he died in his humanity. Does that not make for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, have power in it? God, the eternal Son of the Father, the Holy Trinity in the divine councils, the Son was sent. He was sent to become a man and to suffer and experience death as a man. By the way, just so we don't lose it there, who was raised from the dead? Well, God in the flesh was raised from the dead. He certainly wasn't raised from the dead in his deity, but he was raised in his humanity. Now, let me ask you a very critical question. When the Son of God was on the cross and they drove nails into his hands, did it hurt? When they drove nails into his feet, did it hurt? When they thrust the spear in his side, did it hurt? Did the blood that come forth, was that real human blood? Absolutely. And when all your sins were laid on him, did it hurt? How much did it hurt? I will tell you how much it hurt. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He didn't cry out that because there were nails in his hands and his feet and a spear in his side. He cried out in that loud voice because our sins were laid upon him. As one of my professors used to say, 19 million minutes from the time he opened his baby eyes until the moment he expired on the cross, never for a split second was he out of communion with the Father. And then our sins were laid upon him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Would you not call that unlimited love? I would say the greatest exam example of love without limit that has ever been expressed in all of creation from the beginning until now or from the beginning of eternity if there were such a thing to the end of eternity if there were such a thing. A hopeless plight confronted by unlimited love results in everlasting life. Now we're going to take two things in everlasting life. We could probably take 50 but I'm only going to take two. Two one you hear every single week if you are here. Receive the holy body and blood of our Lord and God and Savior Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Part of the part of the hopeless plight was the guilt of our sins. It's not all, but that was part of the hopeless plight. And what Jesus did for us, what unlimited love did for us, what God did when he demonstrated his love for us, in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, what he did was provide for us forgiveness of our transgressions. How many of them? 40%. Only the ones you didn't intend to do. Well, folks, you intended to do most of them, didn't you?
So that would be forgiveness wouldn't work very well, would it? If we were only forgiven for the stuff we accidentally did, we'd be still in a hopeless plight, would we not? I surely would be. No, he forgave all of our transgressions. Said the prophet Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's a biography of me. And the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. How many of the sins? All. I've told you the story before and I'll tell it again. Little Nancy Shipley, University of Georgia. We sat in a restaurant just off the campus. Nancy, when Jesus died on the cross. For how many of your sins did you die? She said, all of them. And I said, do you believe that? And she said, I want to. I said, Nancy, when Jesus died on the cross, for how many of your sins did he die? She said, all of them. I said, Nancy, do you believe that? And she said, I want to. I said, Nancy... When Jesus died on the cross, for how many of your sins did he die? And she said, all of them. And I said, Nancy, do you believe that? And what happened was, she didn't even answer the question. This cute smile came across her face. Because she grasped, she finally grasped that her sins had been taken care of on the cross. That there is forgiveness of sin. But not only is there forgiveness of sin, that's not all that we get. Because that's not all that's involved in life everlasting. Life everlasting has got to have forgiveness of sins or none of us would make it. But at the same time, what was the second problem that we experienced in the hopeless plight? Powerlessness. And when Jesus came, when God poured out his love for us, what he gave us not only is forgiveness of sins, but an equipping begins for us to live a different life. In our church, we call it deification. Some would call it sanctification. I don't care what you call it, what it does mean. Now something new has happened. Something has happened. We have become united to Jesus Christ in his human nature. And because we are united to him in his human nature, we have now have a new capacity. And now when St. Paul says... Flee fornication. You know what you can do with fornication? You can flee from it. You can resist the devil and he will flee from you. You can do these things. It's a muscle building process in this life. But a day is going to come. A day is going to come when not only will there be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, but maybe just as good as that, where you are no longer going to fall to your passions. Because life everlasting begins. Do you know when life everlasting started for you? Life everlasting started for you when you got put in that water. That's when it started. But then it goes on. And finally, hopeless plight confronted by unlimited love, results in life everlasting, but it does have a hook in it, doesn't it? You have to believe. You've got to take it by faith. You've got to believe in Him. Who is the Him? That's bad grammar, but who is the Him? Who is it? It is the one that God sent because of His unlimited love. We don't just look at Jesus and say, well... 
That's a good chap. Thank you. It takes way more than that. It takes taking your entire life, as it were, and placing it in his hands. You give your life to him. You trust him. You believe in him. You place your faith in him. You count on him. It isn't just you say, yeah, I believe he's born in the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, suffered his dead, and the third day he rose again from the dead, sent and sit at the right hand of the Father, and then he's come again and judge the living dead. It's not good enough. Your heart's got to be with it. It's belief. It's not just being able to quote some facts and even to say, I believe those facts are true. No, you rely upon it. You trust it. You put your life entirely in it. You put your life in the hands of the one with the unlimited love. That's what you do. So, a hopeless plight is solved by unlimited love because it results in everlasting life if you'll believe. And my question is, do you believe? Do you? Do you know that's just a, that's a moral decision? Don't come to me and say, Father, I can't intellectually accept that. It's not an intellectual issue, folks. It's a moral question. It's am I willing? Am I willing? And the answer should be, yes, I am willing, I believe. And when you get to the creed today, make it your personal confession for your route to everlasting life.